Go ahead and uh, grab a Bible if you have one and turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. We have pew Bibles uh, in the seats in front of you if you want to use one of those. If you don't have a Bible, you can just grab that, take it home with you uh, as a free gift uh, from God's grace to you. So uh, 2 Kings chapter 5, Brian Chappell, my old preaching professor, tells a story of a man who died and he was up at the, the gates of heaven and the angel Gabriel was there, and um, guarding, the, Gabriel was guarding the gate, and so the angel said to the man, he said, okay, this is how this is going to work. Uh, you need 100 points to get into heaven, and you have to list all the good things that you've done with your life, and I'll assign a point value to each one. And when we get to the end, if they total up to 100 points or more, then you get into heaven. And Gabriel asked him, do you understand? And the man confidently said, sure, I understand. And so Gabriel said, well, what, uh, tell me about the good things that you've done in your life. And the man said, well, I've been, I've been married to the same woman for, for 50 years. I, I've loved her through thick and thin. And, uh, and so Gabriel looked at him and said, okay, that's, that's worth about three points. And so the man kind of was puzzled, like, that's only worth three points? And Gabriel said, yep, what else have you done? And he said, well, he said, I went to church every single Sunday. And, uh, you know, I, I gave regularly and I, I served in ministry uh, very consistently. And I was just very faithful to my church over, over the course of my lifetime. And so Gabriel looked at him and said, well, that's worth one point. And all of a sudden now the guy's starting to sweat a little bit. And he's like, one point? Are you kidding me? That, that's got, it's gotta be, that has to be worth more than just one point. And so Gabriel said, well, you know, tell me what else you've done. And he said, well, I started a soup kitchen and a, you know, and a homeless shelter for the needy in our, in our community. And I worked that every single day. And uh, just very faithful in, in those ministries. And so Gabriel looked at him and said, well, I guess that could, be worth, that could be worth two points. And finally, the guy's just sweating, just frustrated. He said, he said man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I mean, at this rate, the only way I'm going to get into heaven is through the grace of God. And Gabriel looked at him and said, come on in. Get it, grace of God. So I thought that was going to go today. I really did. I just kind of landed flat. I don't know. I'll uh, try to work on it in between the services today. So, so we are, uh, good morning, everybody. We're finishing up a series uh, that we've been doing called Gods and Kings. We've been in this for several weeks. And we have been focusing on these two prophetic characters Elijah and Elisha and uh, it's been a it's just been a a, just a tremendous study for us as we've kind of gone back into the Old Testament and and really looked at what God did through these prophets and so the story that we're going to look at today I think and I don't think I'm overstating it but I think this could be one of the greatest stories in the entire Old Testament now I realize um, the story we're going to look at today lacks several elements that uh, typically go along with a story that we love, that we would call great. And, uh, and so the story that we're going to look at today lacks, you know, the suspense and the drama and kind of the thrilling uh, elements that we see in Moses parting the Red Sea as the Egyptians are bearing down on, on the Israelites. So it really lacks that. Um, I, I think the story that we're going to look at today lacks that huge underdog role, right, where uh, an underdog like the shepherd boy David takes on 
Goliath and defeats him. So it really lacks that kind of element. It also, uh, the story we're going to look at today kind of lacks the love story element that you see in a story like Ruth and Boaz. And so, and so it lacks all of those things. But, but what's fascinating about the story that we're going to look at today is that um, it really, what it, in what it lacks in those elements, it really makes up for in the word grace. I mean, the story that we're going to look at today is a beautiful picture of God's grace right here, right here in the Old Testament. And I think a lot of times, if you're not familiar with the Old Testament, you, you know, you've kind of read it maybe once or twice. You think, man, God seems so harsh in the Old Testament. Uh, he, it, he, he seems so, so angry and so harsh. And, and what I would tell you is grace runs all over the Old Testament. And I think that's what we see in this, in this scripture this morning. And so if you grew up in church, there's a good chance you've heard of this story in 2 Kings 5. If you haven't grown up in church, then you probably never heard it. But we're going to look at it today afresh and anew. So I want to ask you, if you're willing and able, would you please stand as we read 2 Kings chapter 5 together. And so the writer of Kings says this, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria was a great man with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. And he was a mighty man of valor, but Naaman was a leper. Now the Syrians on one of their raids had carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. And she said to her mistress, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So Naaman went in and told his Lord, thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. So he went, taking with him 10 talents of silver, 6,000 shekels of gold, and then 10,000 changes of clothing or 10 changes of clothing. And then he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I have sent to you Naaman, my servant, that, that, that you may cure him of his leprosy. And when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and he said, am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider and see how he's seeking a quarrel with me. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let him now, let him come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in Israel. So Naaman came with his horses and his chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. And Elisha sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall be clean. But Naaman was angry and he went away saying, behold, I thought he would surely come out to me and would stand and call upon the name of the Lord, his God, and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and Farfar the rivers of Damascus better than all the waters of Israel? Could I, could I not wash in them and be clean? So he turned and went away in a rage. But his servants came near and said to him, My father, it is a great word the prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? 
He, he ha, has he actually said to you, wash and be clean? So he went down, dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God, and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child, and he was clean. Then he returned to the man of God and all of his company, and he came and stood before him, and he said, Behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel, so now, so accept now a present from your servant. But he said, Elisha, as the Lord lives before whom I stand, I receive none. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but not the word of God. It lasts forever. You may be seated. So really, this is an amazing story. It is, it is a breathtaking picture of the grace of God. All in the story of Naaman, who's a Syrian army commander, healed of leprosy, just like that. Uh, what an amazing story. So it's, it's, it's all about the grace of God. So let's, let's kind of talk about what, what is the grace of God. As we, as we talked about last week, you know, the grace of God is really the unmerited favor of God. It is, it is God's favor it is God's goodness, it is God's love poured into your life when, when we don't deserve it, when we could never earn it, and we can't achieve it. And so what I want to share with you this morning, just from this story, are five very simple lessons about the grace of God. Five lessons about the grace of God. Let's, let's just jump in and go with number one. Grace, uh, number one, is shareable. Grace is shareable. That is, grace must be shared by every single believer. Now, let me show you this in verses 1 and 2. And what, we're gonna, what I'm going to do is just walk us through the story kind of verse by verse. But let's start in verse 1. He, the writer of Kings says this, Naaman, the commander of the army of the king of Syria, was a great man and his master, with, with his master and in high favor because by him the Lord had given victory to Syria. Now, the question is, he had given victory to Syria over whom? And the answer to that is Israel. So, so here you have Naaman, who's the commander of the army of Syria, that God has blessed him so well, so much, that God is using him to gain victory over his own people. That's what it's saying right here. So Israel and Syria have been at war. There have been lots of battles. And, and so Naaman is the commander of the Syrian armies, and they have defeated Israel time and time again. Now, at the time of this story, at the time of his healing here, there was kind of a cold war going on between Israel and Syria. So, so, there's, so there's kind of a, a temporary peace happening here. But notice, notice again how the writer of Kings describes Naaman. He says this, he was a mighty man of valor which means he was very brave, he was very skilled, uh, he demonstrated a tremendous amount of courage on the battlefield. But notice what it says, but he was a leper. You see that? But he was a leper. In other words, what, we're what the picture that we see here of Naaman is this, that Naaman was impressive, he was accomplished, he was a mover and shaker, he's part of the elite in, in Syria, but he had one huge problem. And that was lep leprosy. He was a leper. Basically, le leprosy back then was a death sentence. So what started as kind of a white rash on your skin, 
uh, basically kind of spread to other parts of your body. And in time, what, what leprosy would do is destroy the nerve endings in your body. And then over time, your extremities would begin to fall off because, because the disease is just eating away at your body. So basically, if you had leprosy, you were the walking dead back then. It was no question in those days, it was the most feared disease on, on the planet. There was no cure. The death rate was 100%. And they also believed that it was contagious. So what would happen is as soon as you were diagnosed, you were segregated from the rest of society. So you couldn't see your family, you couldn't, you couldn't hang out with your friends, you, you couldn't work, and so you were moved to the outskirts of the city. And so this is, this is where Naaman is. This is his situation in his life. And so he is vulnerable, and uh, he is searching for an answer, and he has a huge need in his life. And I think it's fascinating here that Naaman does not know the true God of Israel. He has no relationship with the true and living God. Naaman is from Syria. They worshiped pagan gods. And so what he knows is that his faith system, his religious system, his value system has no answer for the leprosy in his life. None answer, no answer at all. And so... This is kind of a stark reminder to us that most of our life is really beyond our control, isn't it? I mean, when you think about it, most of what happens to us is beyond our control. And it may, you know, it may be that you don't have leprosy today, but maybe you're struggling in your marriage. You know, maybe you don't have leprosy, but maybe you're, you're facing some financial difficulty or a financial strain in your life. Or maybe there's a physical illness that you're, you're having to deal with. And so these circumstances remind us that life is so much beyond our control and that we have a need. And it's interesting because what we see is it's the need that we have in our life that, that creates a, a posture, a disposition of openness to the grace of God. That's what we see here. And so God uses these circumstances because he wants to teach us. He wants to draw us to himself. He wants us to learn how to rely more and more on his grace. And he, and he uses these kinds of difficulties to bring us in. Now, let me show you the most unlikely of character to share the message of grace with Naaman. Let me, let me show you this in verse 2. Look at Look at what uh, the writer of scripture says. Now the Syrians on one of their raids carried off a little girl from the land of Israel and she worked in the service of Naaman's wife. Now, let me, let me just kind of give you the, the picture here. So, so Naaman is a, is a military commander. He would lead raids down into Israel. He would go into a village and city and basically wipe it out. And so... And so we're not told what happened with this particular little girl and uh, her family. Uh, we are, we, all we know is there's several options here. Naaman could have killed her family and just taken her as a slave. Naaman could have taken her entire family and sold everyone into slavery, breaking up the family. So there's a, there's a number of different options here, but basically he has taken a little girl to be a slave in his own house, and this little girl is going to be serving uh, Naaman's wife. Now I want you to think about this. This Israelite girl 
who's living in Syria, I mean, she, she has no freedom. She has, she has no home. She has lost her family. She has no real experience. She has no power in her life. And interestingly enough, she has no identity. We don't even know her name. That is how low she is on the social, you know, on the social scale. We don't even know her name. The writer of Kings doesn't even mention her name at all. And yet, don't miss this. This little girl's life was used by God. This little girl's life counted for God because she's presumably you know, fulfilling her duties, working her chores in the palace. She knows what's going on in Naaman's life. She overhears the conversations that are happening and she's probably doing the hair of her mistress. She's probably you know, combing out the hair and she just mentions to her mistress, you know, and you see this in, in verse three, would that my Lord were with the prophet who's in Samaria, he would cure him of leprosy. You know, basically she says, you know what, if, if, if he would just go see this prophet Elisha and he hangs out in Samaria, he'd cure him just like that. And I mean, this, these words land like a light bulb going off right, right in the palace. I'm sure they had spent many times, Naaman's family, in the kitchen of their palace trying to figure out what they're going to do about leprosy and how they're going to, you know, what their options were, which they didn't have a lot of options at that point. And this little girl just comes out of the blue and just shares about the grace of God, saying that this is an absolute slam dunk. Now, I want you to notice how Naaman reacts to this. It shows you his earnestness in all this. You see his reaction in verse 4. So Naaman went in and told his Lord. He told the king of Syria, Thus and so spoke the girl from the land of Israel. And the king of Syria said, Go now. And I will send a letter to, to the king of, of Israel. So, so basically what the king of Syria says is you have my permission to go. I'll send a letter to the king. I'll let him know kind of what's going on. And uh, you, can, you can be on your way. And so that's, that's exactly what happens. And so, but I don't want us to lose sight of this fact that this little girl is probably the boldest evangelist in all of the Bible. And she might be a little girl, but she has a huge faith. And she might be insignificant in the eyes of the world, but she's significant in the plan of God. And so this little girl has an unwavering trust in the grace of God that she would be a proclaimer of God's grace to Naaman and to his, you know, and to his family. She didn't have the slightest doubt in her mind that God would cure Naaman's disease. And I think what is particularly remarkable about this little girl is when you consider all that's happened to her and how she's lost basically everything, but yet she is walking with God in the midst of those circumstances. That she, that she has experienced the grace of God herself enough, enough to say, you, you need to go to the prophet because he's the source of the grace of God for you. It's just mind-boggling. You see, the people that share the grace of God are people that have received the grace of God. And they want other people to receive it. And so what she had to basically be an evangelist is she had faith and she had a testimony. 
She believed God's word. She believed the promises of God. And she had a testimony of how God worked in her own life. And I think a lot of times, church, can I just shoot straight with you? I think a lot of us think, well, you know, I, I wasn't a serial killer and, you know, I wasn't a bank robber. And, you know, so my testimony is not any good. You know, my testimony is I got saved in Sunday school when I was nine years old. And so nobody really cares about that. And so we feel all this pressure to kind of manufacture this storybook testimony of how the grace of God has changed us. And church, you don't need that. You just need to tell the real story of how the grace of God really worked in your life. And so what people are looking for is is the real thing. And so if you have that faith and that testimony, you should be ready to speak up because you see the grace of God is shareable. It has to be shared. You know, I, uh, in our family, I have a, a great uncle and uh, his name is Carl and his wife is Dee and, and uh, Carl and Dee Rucker. And uh, Carl and Dee have followed God for a long time. They, they are Christ followers and just this week, I, I, I heard um, a story about Carl that happened to them at Cracker Barrel. He was, they had been eating at Cracker Barrel, and uh, he walked outside of the, rest, the restaurant after they were done eating. And he was right outside the front door, and he just kind of stopped to kind of look where his car was. And he, and he looked over, and, you know, you know, they have those rocking chairs in front of Cracker Barrel. And there were people sitting there, and right next to him was, was a 20-year-old guy. And uh, they kind of made eye contact, and, and, and Carl just smiled at him. And, and uh, you know, Carl's a very, he just lets the joy of the Lord just flow out of his life. I mean, when you meet him, you know that he knows the Lord because he is so filled with joy. And so they made eye contact, and uh, Carl just, just smiled at him. And, and the 20-year-old kid looked, at, looked up at him and said, what are you so happy about? And, and Carl looked at him and said, well, I would, you know, I would love to tell you. He said, I'm happy about Jesus. Jesus has made me happy. And, and, the, and the guy looked back at him and said, well, you know what? I'm not happy in my life. Would you tell me about Jesus? I mean, right in front of Cracker Barrel. So Carl D. move over and they sit in the rocking chairs right next to him. Carl shares his faith with him, shares the gospel, and leads him to Christ right in front of Cracker Barrel. Can you believe that? And Carl Rucker is 90 years old, church. He's 90 years old. But it's like he just got saved the day before. And what does that remind us of? That we need to let the joy of the Lord flow out of us. We need to let, we need to let the the joy of the Lord be seen and heard in us. And so the grace of God is shareable. And so you see this in this, this little girl's life. If she doesn't speak up, Naaman does not get healed, church. That's the bottom line. And so the grace of God is shareable. But number two, the grace of God is, is powerful. Now let me, let me share with you what I mean by this. This little girl shares Basically, the message of grace with Naaman. Naaman tells his boss, the king of Syria, and the king says, I want you to go to Israel. I'll send a letter in front of you. Now, it's at this point, church, that you have to understand that there are a lot of people who doubt the power of the grace of God. You just have to accept that. That there are a significant number of people 
who are skeptical of the power of the grace of God. And what's fascinating about this story is that's the king of Israel. You know, there's some people that we know that, you know, you see, you see others, they, they see others and, you know, these people are so needy or they're, they're so sinful and selfish. And the immediate thought is, well, God could never reach them. God could never save them because they're just so bad. And so, and so that's really what you have here in the king of Israel. The king of Israel receives this letter from the king of Syria and he about chokes on his cereal as he reads it. And let me, let me show this to you in verse six. So it says this, and he brought the letter to the king of Israel, which read, when this letter reaches you, know that I've sent to you Naaman, my servant, that you may cure him of his leprosy. Now notice the response. This is the, the king is supposed to be the spiritual leader of Israel. And it shows you the spiritual condition of Israel at the time. Verse seven, and when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and make alive? That this man sends word to me to cure a man of his leprosy? Only consider how he's seeking a quarrel with me. So, so really the king of Israel, and we don't know which king it was. We think it might, might've been Jehoram, um, but we're really not sure. But, but it's interesting. He just, he takes it as a trap. He's like, this guy's wanting to start a battle with me, start a quarrel with me. And he says, am I God to, to, to kill and make alive? And it's fascinating to me that, that his heart is revealed here, that his, his unbelieving heart is really manifest to us, that he recognizes that it's God who gives life and takes life away. And that same God is just a prayer away but the king of Israel won't, won't even pray, won't even call out to God and say, God, could you, could you be working here in a powerful way? You know, one commentator that I read up on this really pointed out the contrast between the little girl's faith and the king of Israel's lack of faith. Isn't that interesting? I mean, the little girl had such a strong faith and the king of Israel has none. He's thinking he's got to you know, he's got to pull this off himself. He's not even really thinking about God. And I, and I think it's really an insight into why Jesus says that you must become like one of these little ones. You're, you must become like a child in order to enter the kingdom of heaven. Because children trust, they have faith. And I think that's what Jesus, I think that's what Jesus was talking about here. And so, and so this, this lack of faith by the king of of Israel is a really good reminder to us that in those circumstances that we're facing right now, whatever they might be, it may be something related to a job, it may be something related to your future or to some kind of health scare, uh, an unsaved family member, maybe a broken relationship, whatever it is you're going through, church, this is a reminder we need to hold on and trust the grace of God. We don't need to get discouraged. We don't need to tear our clothes and complain. What we need to do is pray because, because what's impossible with men is possible with God. And we need to trust God in those circumstances because the grace of God is powerful. Now here's number three, really the third lesson. And that is this, and this is where the beauty really begins to manifest itself. And, and it's really this, that the grace of God is inclusive. I think that's what we see 
in this story, that, that God's, God's grace is wide enough to bring in anyone. That's what we see. And so, so Elisha hears about the letter that was sent to the king of Israel. So Elisha sends a message to the king of Israel. And you see this in verse 8. When Elisha, the man of God, notice how he's described there. He's described repeatedly as the man of God. He's, he's a man of faith. But when Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his clothes, he sent to the king saying, why have you torn your clothes? Let, him, let Naaman come now to me that he may know that there's a prophet in, his, in Israel. And so this is interesting because Elisha has the faith. Elisha knows what's going on, that God is gonna work a miracle in his life. And he says, listen, don't let it overwhelm you, king. Just send him to me because God's gonna do an amazing thing. He's going to hear, he's going to hear the word of God. And, and so he, he has him sent to him. Now look with me at verse nine because this is where the, the story takes a really interesting turn and it's really Elisha's lack of hospitality for whatever reason, we're not really sure, but notice what it says. So Naaman came with his horses and chariots and he stood at the door of Elisha's house. Now, you got to imagine, if this was happening today, this would have been a cavalcade of, you know, es escalades, basically. This is what's going on here. You know what I'm saying? So SUVs, black tinted windows, he's bringing the chariots, he's bringing all the horses. He's a man of stature. He's an important person. And he's showing up at the house of a prophet. And he's knocking on the door and Elisha's not coming to the door. So this important man with all of his entourage is waiting at the front door of Elisha and Elisha's not coming to the door. Now, we, we're not really sure why he did not answer the door. It could be because, because Naaman's basically an enemy of Israel because of the Cold War that was going on. It, it, it you know, could have been something related to that. We're really, not, we're really not sure. But what we really begin to see here is this. You begin to see the universality, the inclusivity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because Naaman's a Syrian. Naaman's a foreigner, and uh, God's going to heal him. And, uh, and this is going to be a huge testimony to, to really the grace of God. It's going to show the wideness of God's grace. Now, what's fascinating to me is this, that Jesus referenced this story in the Gospels. Let me show this to you in Luke 4.27, where Jesus says this, and there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. So Jesus knew this story, knew it backward and forward. And he says, none of them were cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. So what Jesus is saying is there were a number of, of uh, lepers in Israel in that day, but, but it was Naaman the Syrian, the non-Israelite who was healed. And so, and so Jesus is referencing the story and he's and really, this is God's way of signaling that the grace of God is going to be for the entire world, not just one nation. That the grace of God is extending out and that it's God's ultimate purpose to bring the nations to salvation in Christ. And so that's, that is really what is going on here. And so practically what this means for you and for me is 
really grace is for the, the lostest of the lost. That grace is for the pimp. That grace is for the prostitute. That grace is for the meth addict. It's for the Muslim, the Hindu, the Taliban. That grace is for an abortion doctor or a proud pastor or a greedy businessman or a lazy teenager. There's no limit to the grace of God, church. I think, I think that's what we're seeing in this story. And that means there's hope for me and you, right? That the grace of God just extends to everyone. And so it's for the whole world. It's for every nation. It's for every tribe. It's for every person. And so the grace of God is inclusive. But there's a fourth lesson we see about the grace of God. Let me show you this. The grace of God is is free. So here's what you have. You have Naaman standing at the door of Elisha like a Domino's pizza delivery man on Super Bowl Sunday, except no one's answering the doorbell, all right? And so Elisha's just kind of standing there, or Elisha, or Naaman is standing there, and Elisha sends a messenger to him. Let me show you this in verse 10. So he doesn't answer the door, but he sends someone in his place. And Elijah sent a messenger to him saying, go and wash in the Jordan River seven times and your flesh shall be restored and you shall become clean. Now, what is interesting about that to me is this, that, that Naaman really thought that Elisha would just come out and just kind of wave a magic wand over him and he would instantly be healed. That's what Naaman wanted. Uh, that he, he wanted quick service, if you will. And that's not, what, that's not what he gets. And so instead, Elisha tells him, I want you to go in the Jordan River and I want you to dip seven times. And I want you to notice how Naaman responds to this in verse 11. But Naaman was angry and, and went away saying, behold, I, I thought he would surely come out to me and that he would... And that he would and stand and call upon the name of the Lord as God and wave his hand over the place and cure the leper. Are not Abana and far, far the rivers of Damascus better than all the, the waters of Israel? So you're seeing pride there, right? Like my country is better. My rivers are better than the puny little Jordan River. Why do I have to get in that is basically what he's saying. And so could I not wash in them and be clean? And so he turned and went away in a rage. And so, and so really Naaman is just reacting out of pride and unbelief. Like he's rejecting the word of God coming through the prophet Elisha. And it's all because he thinks he's better than the Israelites. You know, and, and maybe, you know, maybe the Jordan River's not that great of a river, you know what I mean? But if you had leprosy and you wanted to be healed, you're going to be jumping in the Jordan River. You guys tracking me on that? And so, and so Naaman is just allowing his pride and his unbelief to overtake him. And I think, I think Naaman's objection here is very, very similar to the objection that a lot of us hear, you know, for non-believers in our day. A lot of people today object to the gospel because they say, well, you know, it's too narrow. You know, why do, why do Christians say that Jesus is the only way? Can I, can I be healed through another religion? And a lot of people object to Christianity 
on those terms, just like just like Naaman, you know, objected. Why do I have to get in the Jordan River? Why does it have to be so narrow and limiting? Why can't I just jump into any body of water, basically? But see, here's the thing about the grace of God. God gives grace on his terms, not ours. And God has chosen to save the world through the death and the resurrection of his son, Jesus Christ. And so it's not the claims of Christians when we say Jesus is the way and the truth and the life, it is the claim of Jesus. We're just repeating his claim. And so God has chosen this, the, the death of his son and the resurrection of his son because there's no better way to manifest the glory and the grace of God than his death and resurrection. It, it's, the, it's the greatest way to shine the light on his, on his love and his mercy to his people. And so, and so that's, what you see here is, is Naaman really pushing back. And, um, and he's really just not grasping. This has nothing to do with water quality here. This has everything to do with the grace of God. And so you see, verse 13, you see what happens next. But his servants came near and they said to him, My father, it is a great word. The prophet has spoken to you. Will you not do it? Will you not do it? He has actually said to you, wash and be clean. So, so it's interesting to me that you have the little girl sharing the gospel. And then you have servants basically sharing the gospel. He said, just dip in the water seven times. Will you not do it? What he has said to you is a great word. In other words, it's good news. It's the gospel. Why wouldn't you do it? And so Naaman comes back into his right mind and we see what happens. He dipped seven times, verse 14. So he went down, he dipped himself seven times in the Jordan according to the word of the man of God and his flesh was restored like the flesh of a little child and he was clean. Naaman was completely healed coming up out of that Jordan River that day. And um, it's really like Naaman's dipping in the water is really an image of baptism, isn't it? Because it's not, it's not the water that saves you when you're baptized. It is the grace of God that saves you. But the water was really just the outward sign of faith. It's the, it's the, it's the outward sign of what, of what God is working on the inside. That's exactly what baptism is. Now, here's the thing that I, I don't want you to miss. The grace of God is free. That's what I don't want you to miss. The grace of God is free. So, so the reason why I say that is because I, th I think that Naaman was all prepared to pay off Elisha for this. And you see this, go back up in verse five. I, we didn't really talk about it when we looked at this the first time, but I wanna show you this because this is, this is huge. So in verse five, it says this, and the king of Syria said, go now and I'll send a letter to the king of Israel. And so the Bible says, so he went taking with him, notice this, 10 talents of silver and 6,000 shekels of gold and then, you know, a change of clothing. That's a lot of money right there. And I think Naaman is used to paying medical bills is what I, what I think is going on here because what he does is he cashes out his entire investment portfolio and, and, then, and then he's basically offering it to Elisha after he's healed. You see this in verses 15 and 16. He says this, then he returned to the man of God. This is right after he's healed. 
and all his company. And he came and he stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all of the earth, but in Israel. So accept now a present from your servant. And so basically what he wants to do is he wants to pay him for his trouble. And, uh, and I think that there is a tendency in you and in me, in our, in our sinful flesh, to, to want to try to earn our way with God. We, we want to try to work for our salvation. There's something in us that, that kind of wants to put us in charge of just saying, look what I've done to deserve your favor in my life. And so Naaman wanted to pay for his own salvation. And if Elisha takes payment at that point, then you know what the story becomes? You know what the testimony is at that point? Naaman goes back to Syria and he says, you know what, I paid such and such money and I traveled such and such miles and look at what happened to me. Look what I did to secure my own blessing and salvation. But Elisha says, no, I'm not taking payment because I want you to understand that you've received the unmerited favor of God. So that the story would now be, when he goes back to Syria, look what the God of Israel has done for me. You see, that is, that is what's happening here. The grace of God is free. It's unmerited. And then lastly, let me close with this. The grace of God is absolutely life-changing. And you see this in verse 11, or I should say you see this in verse 15, where, where you see the change that has really taken place in, in Naaman's life. When he dipped in that water, he was healed physically. But I think he also experienced the presence of God spiritually in his life. There was a spiritual change that occurred in his life. Verse 15, then he returned to the man of God and all of his company and he came and he stood before him and he said, behold, I know that there is no God in all the earth but in Israel. Now the reason why that is so significant is because, because Naaman has been worshiping all of these gods, these Syrian gods. And what he is confessing now is his faith in the true God of Israel. And he says, I know that those other gods are not real, that they're fake. And it, you really begin to see that Naaman is changed by the grace of God. That, that what happens is when we receive God's grace into our life, it changes us on the inside and out. And I think that's what's happening in, in Naaman's life. You know, as I was doing my uh, studying for this, I, I found something interesting about leprosy that I, I really didn't know going into this. Do you know that leprosy really is a metaphor for sin throughout Scripture? That's why Scripture talks so much about leprosy. When you think about comparing leprosy with sin, there's some interesting parallels because when you think about what leprosy does to your nerves, it deadens our, your nerves, doesn't it? Like it just deadens it. And in a similar manner, sin deadens our conscience. You live in it and live in it and just your conscience just kind of grows hard and dead. And then leprosy, what it'll do is it will grow and, you know, kind of spread and it and it just corrupts your body over time. It just corrupts your health. And that's exactly what sin does. If, if we let it, sin just grows and, and it corrupts us more and more over time. 
and then sin just eats away or leprosy eats away at your extremities. But sin eats away at your soul and your spirit. You see, the message of the gospel is this, that your soul has a disease and that disease is sin and it's terminal. Because the Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. That all of us have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. But, but, there's, a, but there's a really good word spoken to us. And that good word is wash and be clean. Wash and I'll make your sins whiter than so. You see, that's the good news of Jesus Christ. It's, it's just here in a nutshell, church. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That is a great word. So church, I don't know what it is you're wrestling with today. It could be some difficult circumstance where you need to lean in the grace of God. I wanna tell you, I just wanna proclaim to you the grace of God is available to you. And maybe you're not right with God. Maybe you've been just living in just rebellion. You know, you look great on the outside, but in your heart, you're just distant from God. Hear a very great word. Grace is available for you with that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we are amazed at grace. We are blown away by it. And so we, we confess that we need your grace. God, we confess we need your mercy. We realize how, how destructive, Lord, even, even sin is. And so, God, we just call out to you for the grace and mercy you gave to Naaman 3,000 years ago. It was the very same grace available to us today. And so, God, I pray that we could experience it afresh and anew today. I pray, God, that your Holy Spirit would reveal to us the awesome grace of God. And so I just want to give you a moment to pray. I, like I said, I, I, I don't know where you are today, but I want to give you a moment to respond to God. It, you know, it could be some struggle that you have some challenge that you're facing, some doubt. It could be anything, whatever it is, the grace of God is available to you. And our great God wants to share it with you, but you have to be willing to receive. And so would you just take a moment and just pray and talk to your heavenly father, the God of all grace. Confess, Ask, give thanks. So God, we give you praise, we give you glory. 
Let us be men and women and students who just walk in the grace of God every day. We pray this in Jesus' name and all of God's people said, amen.